Today at the SCGI Directors in Dialogue, director Paddy Brannock talks about his successful I Went Down with fellow director Kieran J. Walsh. It's actually around now, I think, probably 14 years ago, that we got we commissioned the script, I think, in the middle of the summer before. And we got a script around sort of now that was close enough to being the script. So I think at the time, I remember, it, was about, it took about six months to write the script. And within that, there were three drafts. And the drafts were very, very different. And um, each one, like, you know, it changed hugely. And uh, but something stayed constant, and that was uh, so. But at this stage, we got that draft and we sent it out, and very quickly we got a couple of responses back, and we sort of knew then that it was something that we, you know, we were going to make it happen. I mean, the thing is, I remember when it came when it came out, it was nothing like it. It was such a breath of fresh air when it came out because it was almost like it was like a freedom for uh, the likes of us people who wanted to make films uh, that we didn't have to sort of make films about the troubles and didn't have to make films about priests and you know and all those kind of things that's, that uh, so it was like a, and, and it was you could be funny about this stuff as well you know because it wasn't really yeah I, th- I think there was, was one of the things that just when I watch it and I remember it all right there was a na- certain ambition to to make Ambition in a way that was big enough, but at the same time, uh, maybe ordinary enough, in the sense of just trying to make something that was fun, yeah, and mm-hmm. something that had an exuberance about it, a, li- a life about, about it, I suppose, in a sense. Yeah, but to most people who saw it, it was just like, wow, great, this is it, now we can make films like this, and you know... Yeah. Well, I think it was probably in the country generally that was happening, and yeah. lots of things, but the fact that so many films that were being made... It didn't like in some of them very good films, but just a disproportionate amount of films were very dreary. Mm. They were in mm-hmm. terms of their mm. the world that they were set in. It was it was dull and it wasn't. Um, they at a very basic they weren't able to connect with an Irish audience, let mm. alone travel and go further than mm. that. And uh, so there was a quite a big space there. You know, the goal was quite big in some mm. ways and obvious, but yet. There was that reluctance, and maybe it was as you know, there was a certain move forward or generational move on that, also that China, didn't yeah. have the burdens that other generations yeah. had, and so you could move on. Yeah, but I also think that you know, it, it, it there was so many parts of the film that reminded it were I wouldn't say referential, but like that you know, chimed off things in my head about American road movies mm-hmm. and. You know the two characters, although they were quintessentially Irish gangsters, and all of them were. Um, there was there were archetypes in the sense that kind of you could you could recognise from everything from Thund- Thunderbolt and Lightfoot to the, Adam, Cone, the, Cone the Cone Brothers. brothers yeah. to, you know, absolutely. I mean, the scene in the forest at the end, with the yeah. Miller's Crossing, or yeah. you know, there was. Th- but yet it wasn't ripping them off. It was just kind of like these are. Yeah, well, so many things in, in genre movies are. You know, they appear again and again of and course, again, yeah, and yeah. it's trying to take them and re- recite them or relocate them in, in your place. And also, maybe there was, it's, I'd say, remember a couple of things just in the, that were probably in the back of my mind. Um, I don't think I'd ever seen it, but I think Paul um, Mercier, when I was in UCD, or just before I got to UCD, Paul Mercier, 
had put on an Irish language version of Dearmer Than Grania, but set it as a as a, uh, a gangster in a mm. gangster world, you know. And then I remember sh around that time seeing a film called Bill My Gallows High, mm. which Robert, Robert uh, out of the past it's called past, as well, yeah, with right. Robert Mitchum in it. And I thought, Jesus, fuck it, that's the uh, Dearmer Than Grania story, you know. It's the same yeah. story as that. And then just that idea that myth, you know, in a very early stage of looking at mythology and seeing how mythology transposes into different stories and different kinds of stories. And then, so I suppose that idea of taking something that you know is quintessentially Irish or something in some way, and then seeing that trans, that you feel it's quintessentially Irish, obviously it's universal, but you mm. feel it's that way, and then seeing it transposed into something that's very much a universal, a gangster movie. Mm. And then trying to say, okay, well, how do you take those uh, tropes and ideas back and relocate them into your place mm -hmm. and make it very Irish in terms of language and landscape and maybe other aspects of it, social aspects of it even, you know. But yet it can feed off the energy and the engine of that international mm -hmm. universal filmmaking. That in some way that you're riding on that coattails a little bit, but you're trying to do it also in a way that has... Uh, um, a distinctly, all, all the material and all the stuff is distinctly local. Yeah, because there was moments that reminded me, actually it was probably just the, the opening week of Pulp Fiction, just music and stuff, but I, I can't remember whether that was out of that. I think, it, uh, I can't remember, I think it may be, may be, it wasn't, like I wasn't a big Tarantino, like at the time people said Tarantino, and I think that was really mainly because of the uh, rhythm and blues music, I think that was yeah. the main thing. Main, also, I suppose, and I can't remember Pulp, Pulp, Pulp Fiction was out. Pulp Fiction was definitely out because I, I'd, mm. I'd seen that at a festival before then. So guys with guns and maybe the reintroduction of the the two hander, you know, I think through Pulp Fiction was very mm. strong at the time. I mean. Um, but it wasn't so much uh, we didn't set out deliberately to do that. It was more we were kind of reacting to elements in the scripts that Connor was giving us mm. and maybe cherry picking some aspects of that what we felt was strongest in it and then building from that and I think probably I, w I always wanted to do a road mm. movie mm. I wanted to get it on the road I wanted to get it out of maybe Dublin and out of some of the familiar landscapes that you see in Irish films a lot and that was you know just that idea that the structure of the industry and the way it works mm. tends to keep you in certain places certain and we wanted to stretch out of that. Did you go to Connor with the idea? I went to see a play that Connor had written called The Good Thief and re liked it a lot and and also saw, it was actually Robbie Ryan took photographs, Robbie Ryan is a cinematographer, mm -hmm. took photographs for the play as backdrops, it was a monologue and I thought again there was great sort of sense of landscape maybe and sense of uh, just texture mixed with that story from those photographs that I was interested in as well. So we went to Connor and we talked about whether we'd do The Good Thief or whether we'd do something else. And then there was a myth that I was interested in called The Sons of Turin, which is a kind of revenge myth. So we, I, we pitched that to him and said, well, what if we did an updated version or use this loosely as a structure? And he sort of wasn't into, I don't think he was into the idea of transposing that myth, but I think we took the revenge aspect to it mm -hmm. maybe. And then he started writing. Um, very quickly, what happened was it was gr a great process actually, because 
um, he'd come into the office and we'd go up on there was a either sort of you'd go up onto the roof and we'd have a sandwich and he'd read he was writing longhand and he'd read what he'd written and uh, we'd immediately be, he'd read it aloud and we'd be laughing or reacting or you know that way so we immediately had confidence that here was a writer who was great you know and also that uh, he could write scenes and write you know that had an energy of that. Um, That's right, ex experience writing screenplays was, this was his first? First screenplay, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and all the plays had been monologues, right, so okay. there weren't, uh, yeah, all the play at that stage, I can't remember, he'd written four or five plays maybe, but yeah. they were all monologues. Or at least the ones I'd seen, he may have written something that, what, that isn't known or whatever. But um, I think, I can't remember whether that he wrote a full draft of that script or, I can't quite remember. Maybe if, if for some reason in the back of my head, I, I feel there was only like 40, 50 pages or something got to a stage and then we decided to go back again. I'm not, I'm not too sure, but anyway, the, the upshot of it was he, he wrote, basically, he wrote a, uh, that first pass and there were certain things that we liked in it. One thing in particular was the Bunny Kelly character mm -hmm. appears in it, but he doesn't appear as a, a central character. He, they basically go to him to buy a gun for, or to rent a gun off of him. And the scene that's in the forest at the moment where, where he's showing how to use a gun is kind of literally almost verbatim was there, but it was in yeah. a suburban mm -hmm. two up, two down house that they come in and visit him in. And we felt that the energy in that scene and his character and stuff, we, we, we liked so much. We said, look, why don't we bring him on the road and bring him in? And then for a while it became a three-hander. It was Git, Anto, who's diminished in mm -hmm. it in, by the end, and Bunny. Which one was Anto? Uh, Anto was uh, David Wilmot, who's oh, just yes, at the beginning yes, yeah, and at yeah, the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. So there was a draft with the three of them, and it became much more like there was a, it was a hostage sort of scene in a house. And there was some great stuff in it, but it wasn't really what I think we wanted to make, or it wasn't, we felt it wasn't there. Partially our inexperience of being able to define what we wanted to make, you know, it was a yeah. bit of, we sort of, we got there, and I'm sure it was very frustrating for Connor at times, because we were, you know, we were reacting to different things that we liked, but maybe they weren't all compatible and stuff like that. So the messages we were sending were <laughs> probably mixed, you know, like now I'd sort of be much quicker to say okay look that's you know the tone of this is um, gangsters and we're, yeah how do we mix that with the comedy or whatever mm, you know yeah, is that yeah, all yeah, that sort yeah. of thing. We decided then on that second part of it that we, we sort of really liked the energy of Git and Bunny and whether we should just make it about them mm. and get them on the road and I can't remember how much of the story was remaining from that um, in that second draft how much of it Maybe the setup was the same. I think possibly the Tom French stuff and all that was the same setup, but it just completely went on a different uh, journey then. And it, for that third draft, Connor came into the office and he wrote a lot of it in our office. So he'd be sitting down writing, and then when he finished a scene or a couple of scenes, he'd stop and read them out. And there was myself and Rob and I think Rachel and um, Rachel O'Flanagan and, and Emma Richardson who worked for us in the office. We're all, we'd all be there, we'd all kind of be reacting and laughing. So it was a very interesting, mm. it was like a, an immediate audience for something. And, and the energy of getting laughs and getting a reaction was feeding back 
in very quickly. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we might say, oh, that's brilliant. He could do this. And Connor in himself would say, oh, yeah, but actually be better if he did it this way. Mm-hmm. You know, and he'd do that. Uh, but it was a very live a sort nice of process for us. It was. I think, yeah. I think it was. And it was very brave of him to yeah, come yeah. in and do that, you know. I, I w- I'd say maybe it was out of frustration in terms right. of wanting to push it uh, forward a bit more quickly. Yes, you know? yeah. Uh, uh, w- like, look, looking at it now, Paddy, I mean, do you see nothing but mistakes? Or, or oh, I see yeah, lots of things that you do differently and, you know, you sort of, you know, I think in terms of, you know, you cut it differently here and you sort of change this or you change that a bit and maybe some moments, the gags that we cut out mm-hmm. that I... I think we we didn't. Pr- I don't think we previewed it at all, and I would like if I was doing it again. Mm-hmm. I'd preview it and be putting in gags and taking them out and see what happens with them. You know, it, it was BBC films, right? BBC films. So, so did they not insist on anything like that? No, no? they didn't. And uh, I'm, try- I'm trying to. I'm pretty sure we didn't preview it. So if the, sorry, if the yeah. film board didn't give you development money, you went in with a finished script. I can. We. Uh, met BBC Films and they kind of said they wanted to do it there and then. So it was really, it was very quick. quick. Mm-hmm. And we briefed then the film board about it and told them about it. But as soon as BBC Films were on board, I think they were, you know, mm-hmm. they were up for it very quickly. Would, the, would BBC Films have expected them to row in or were they prepared to f- I think finance it? Par- I think it was part of our, I, we must have sent it in to them at that stage. That we probably had sent it in again, probably on the basis of the la- the draft that we were financing to get development money. So they mm-hmm. probably had it as going in as a development project at that stage, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think they'd read it then. I can't I can't fully remember actually the detail, but they, I, I think I might have said it to to Rod or just told him. I think I told him over in Virginia that there was interest in it. Actually, it was because we were on the same flight getting out of there and we were grounded. Luckily, I had a chance to talk to him, talk to him mm-hmm. for a while and told him that uh, that BBC Films were interested in it. And you know, it's usually like once you've an engine yeah. like that, everything else is okay. moves along mm-hmm. with it. You know, so it happened and we shot it in September. So the turnaround was actually quite quick, you know, from sending a script out. Yeah, very much. It was so, like yeah. four months or something to shooting it. You did know? you cast it quickly? I mean, did you get Brendan uh, on board? No, we we took our time. We, we spent right? a bit of. Uh, we thought about it a lot, and we just with the language and everything, we just kind of said, look, you know, I think it'd be better if we get somebody who's, you know, the language is so yeah, important yeah, to yeah. it. And we sort of, you know, the BBC gave us, at a certain stage, sort of gave us a lot of freedom to look, we think you should go and cast who you think is right for it, you know? Jeez, and nice. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, like, don't worry too much about what you think we want or, you right. know, or what you want Chivas. to name, Mark Shivers. Oh, Mark yeah. Shivers was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. He was really yeah. a great, uh, he was that great old school, old school yeah. BBC, where they saw the bigger picture, said what they needed to say when they needed to say it, but all about encouragement. But when he needed to, he'd be immediately. Yeah. He'd ask the right question very definitely and succinctly. He was brilliant. But um, I remember at the time, he, Michael McElhatton or somebody, somebody told me that there were certain casting directors in Dublin that wouldn't call Michael McElhatton in for a part, whether they didn't like him or rate him or something like that. And I knew Ma- Michael is a fantastic actor, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it just made no sense to me. And uh, so we decided when we casted that Deirdre, we wouldn't go through the regular casting process. And Deirdre Kane 
That's Deirdre with Kane. Yeah. 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 I saw her name couple of times. Yeah, Deirdre with Kane cast the chair. She did Saltwater as well. Yeah, she did, yeah. Oh, right. um, and so that opened it up a lot. So there was a lot of the time, say Frank Rogan, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, it has to be somebody with a great voice because he's telling these long stories and it's all about his voice, really, you know. So she came up with Peter, and I didn't really know Peter Caffrey that well. He, I don't he know where the films, though, He'd done a few films, yeah. and, I, and he'd done some great stage work, and he'd done a sitcom with the Beeb, I think, beforehand. So he'd sort of been around and done some good stuff. But um, I can't remember where the Bally came. Bally came must have been on or whatever, I don't know. I was he was in a film I, I wrote for BBC in 1991, where he, he played the bishop. And Tony and Tony Doyle was in it as well. Yeah. Did, did, was that, was that, was yeah. that directed by Danny Boyle? Yeah. It's funny because I remember, uh, I don't know if it was Peter told me, I think it was Peter Caffrey told me the story that um, he'd had a stroke. That's right. Then he and he wasn't able to speak. That's right. Yeah. And that was the first thing he did. And Danny Boyle back. cast him and it went against, completely against what he should have <laughs> done. And I always remember there was a great thing about Danny Boyle that yeah. he... He was willing to cast somebody, you know, who couldn't, who just had a stroke, couldn't speak, and just went way out of, out of the box on it, you know, yeah, and yeah. it worked out. Yeah, it did, yeah. Um, but um, so that was that was that, and we we spent a good bit of time. Actually, Peter MacDonald, it was the way that that came about. Um, I had Peter was a very good friend of Connor's from university, and uh, I used to get him <coughs> into read with anybody who was auditioning, and gradually it just like became apparent that he was better than the people he was reading against <laughs> always, you know? Yeah. So it was sort of when you're looking this way and you're gradually end up <laughs> you know, looking that yeah. way, you know? So we, we cast Peter. Uh, uh, was that his, that was his first thing that he'd done? That was Peter's film, first thing. Yeah. He'd done plays that Connor had written. He'd done plays in, in <coughs> university as well, yeah. There was a couple of other... Remarkably assured debut, really. Mm, from it was, it? yeah. never done anything. Yeah. Rob claims that we auditioned Colin Farrell, but I don't think we did. <laughs> right. I, I can't, I have no memory of it, but Rob says, I, I think he's trying to <laughs> kneel me, he's you know, that he, yeah. he need, you could have discovered Colin Farrell. <laughs> uh, but I don't think we did. And there was a couple of other actors that were like good, very good and fine actors, and it was an interesting lesson. There was one, you know, great actor, and I thought he'd be great in it, and uh, he auditioned, and he was terrible, and like the audition was just terrible. And it always made me, you know, because I had no doubt about, and subsequently only no doubt about how good an actor he is, but yet I always wonder if it was, what did I do wrong? But just, but it made me think about how you, as a director, you are in the audition mm -hmm. process and how much leeway and how you can, you know, if somebody doesn't deliver, but yet you know they can maybe or c could, how do you? get to that point. Yeah. You, you, how question, you do question how you've set the you audition know. up. I'm sure you and I'm yeah. sure everybody has yeah. done auditions with actors who just don't audition, you know. Um, was there much was there much improvisation in, in no, the script? No, very little. There, um, the script, I mean, there was a rhythm in the dialogue and it was like, I think if I was doing it now, there's some places that I, I w what I would have done now, I think, differently would be. I would have shot the script and then I would have asked them to play with it a little bit, you know, and just loosen it out a bit. But the dialogue was so good yeah. that if you were trying to... Because yeah. it looked like, in places, it looked like they were improvising, yeah. you know? I think it was, I mean, maybe, I'd say, like, Brendan probably kind of keeps it loose. In at the, I don't know if he still does whatever, but at the, 
the time I remembered that he he you know wouldn't want to learn it off too no, soon no. you know and yeah. he kind of just about learn it off maybe and that throughout the course of the thing that you you know there was well, a bit of looseness in that yeah, yeah there was fresh thing. energy always yeah. about it you know yeah. so I think that was um, that was the case all right mm -hmm. it's a funny thing I think it, it haven't and particularly maybe when there is a very good script and a very you know sort of where there's some things which are very solid in it and you know that and to have that bit of space around it or a bit of air in mm -hmm. some way to ha be able to have that air and it's not a it's an in slightly ineffable thing you know that sometimes <coughs> it's, it's it's about not doing things or just taking a step back and and letting it be there but yet if you do that too much <coughs> you know it's tension goes out of the piece as well you know, generally when we shot it there wasn't a huge amount of people saying, oh, how funny this is, or mm. anything. You know, it was one or two moments when people laughed, you know, on set. But I'd be always, like, saying, fuck, I don't want to hear the laugh on set, you know? Oh, right. You know, it's the, it's the killer. Like, if that energy gets into mm. a, a film where everyone's yeah. standing around farts, basically, you know? <laughs> and it just doesn't... It just really kills something, you yeah. know? People yeah. get... It just... The, that ineffable... Thing I'm not knowing or something gives an energy into into the thing. Yeah. So and not playing it for laughs either. Yeah. As well. So it's it's a fun that funny thing about that it's relaxed enough that there's a bit of air around it, but yet that there's enough tension there mm -hmm. that just holds the thing together and where how to where to stand to hold that. You know. And also there was a lovely innocence about the timing. About yeah, the there was. Yeah. yeah. Which I don't know if that if you if. If you engineered that, or I just come out of the of the dialogue, I would say, I mean, it, it was in the script, mm, you know, mm. and it was in the, probably an emphasis that I would have placed at times, and you know, I wonder whether it's the right emphasis or not, and I think it's an emphasis that was probably in the script as well, but you know, where there's certain moments of poignancy or certain mm. things that you know you, I played a little bit more on the poignancy than than uh, the gag, you know? One of the things in the film generally, I think we, I probably needed to get, allow laughs a little bit earlier than we do. Permission to laugh. Permission to laugh. Yeah. Like really nail a good laugh. And um, yeah, maybe just push the pace in a certain few places early on so that the laughs and the energy of the thing are, are are there for people to take it, they want to take it, and then maybe slow down a bit into some, some bits that have a little bit of poignancy in them, or mm. pathos in them, mm. you know. But we play, there's moments where we play the pathos, mm. and uh, whether it takes, whether it's confusion, I think an Irish audience go with that. I, I wonder whether, outside of Ireland, whether they'll, they go for that confusion as much. I just wanted to ask you about that performance of Peter, because if, he's, if it was a kind of first film, Sometimes I just thought he, he really um, did keep an awful lot. You know, it was a lot in his face, you yeah. know. And it, just in terms of directing him, were you working with that, or did he have that kind of... Um, you know? I think he had a lot of it, definitely. Um, I think I worked with him... I mean, we did a good bit of rehearsal, and we worked on it, and worked on, you know, gesture, and worked on walks, and work, work, worked on stuff like that, you know. But a bow-legged walk, like yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just kind of trying to, you know, what what is your presence in the film? Just very basic things. What is you, you know, what's your manner and all that. So we did a good bit of that. But I think in terms of um, his understanding of the character, I think he would have had that on broadcast, you know. 
Um, I mean, I, I think it was probably, you know, as I was saying about Brendan, there's a, a bit more flux with Brendan in terms of how he delivers, and Peter would have been a bit more, I think he would have had a, a tighter vision of what it was and delivered that. And maybe sometimes you needed to break that down a little bit more or change that. And it was a slower process to change. So they were kind of the op almost the opposites, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's funny that the, just when going back, when we were talking about, you know, sort of, and I'm just remembering with gangster films and, um, you know, and, and Tarantino and stuff like that. I mean, Westerns were a bigger influence in a lot yes, of ways for me. Yeah. But there was a, a film, and I'm trying to remember what it was called. It was Gerard Depardieu and a French actor, Patrick, somebody that killed himself. Oh, yeah. That I don't. The Valsus? The Valsus, that's yeah. the one, yeah. And where they the box, yeah, yeah. where they go on a journey the and they, the yeah, they yeah, do. Yeah. And that was in the back of my head. Yeah, that's fantastic. Around the time, yeah. yeah. And the sort of irreverent energy that they had in that film yeah, I mean, was, was something so that was there. So, yeah. You know. that, I mean, there's a, I do remember there's a moment actually now that I think it, it is just like the type of what happened in this film, where. Uh, they're on the in the in the car on the road and they they see they obviously it's so anti-bourgeois the film yeah. like, you know they see this couple having their their lunch by the side of the road the little bottle of wine yeah. and stuff and they drive past and they actually reverse the car up and rev the engine so the smoke pouring out of the car yeah. and reverse the car right up to these people yeah. who are having their wine and their yeah. sandwiches yeah. and then they just drive off. Yeah. <laughs> it was so. Apropos, really nothing bold, they just, it yeah, was exactly. bold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a, it's a scene like I'm really pushing. The things is the scene where they go break into this. It's a sort of seaside town. They break into the house, but it's the the irreverence and the bawdiness of that. Yeah. And I think bawdiness was something that we did, like early on. We sort of said, okay, let's do something that has a bit of bawdiness. Yeah. About it, you know? And you were saying actually um, that this version that we saw tonight was uh, somewhat censored as far as a television audio mix, and that yeah. it was eight. Originally. Yeah, but that was the there was no cunts in this one and in this in the script there were a lot there was like something we had a meeting with the BBC and they said <laughs> a cunt meeting yeah we did a cunt count meeting and uh, there was thirty eight or something and uh, no yeah and, uh, how many is too many one <laughs> they, they were broadcast but they may have since have they. I think they might have since. That was the case that we. I remember doing the counts, and it was like fucks and cunts, and there's a few other words. And they, we did a deal with them that we would deliver them a version without any, but um, we were going to have for the cinema version that we'd ha have eight or something like that. The their thing was they were very good about it in the way they said it. Said, listen, it's, it's just we haven't broadcast it, and whatever we decide here, it's not going to change that. You know what yeah. I mean? So uh, we, it's just. Not Back negotiable, to life, it's yeah. not negotiable. And they weren't. Uh, they didn't try and dress it up as anything. Just like you know, the anti won't do that. You know? Yeah, yeah. So mm. that was it. How did how did it um how did it do, Paddy? It uh, did quite well here. Uh, didn't do uh, much in the UK. It opened the same day as Titanic in the UK. Kind of program. I went down with the Titanic. <laughs> 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 it was. That was the reason the the distributors thought they'd get a lot of headlines like that and that it would lift it up. It got great reviews in the UK, really good reviews, but just didn't, mm -hmm. didn't do this. Here, I can't remember, I think it did like about 700 punts or something, or 800 punts, or in and around that, so a million euro, yeah. which at the time, 
uh, would have been it's kind of un unprecedented. Yeah, right? for a, for a for a for a locally made film. I mean, I think you know, I don't know what the snapper did when that eventually came out, but it did pr pretty well. And I'm sure the commitments did better than yeah. that. But just for something that was like coming out of say our pool, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it it definitely what, what was, was the a budget? good. Uh, the budget I think was one point five. I think are 1.6 in and around that uh, uh, punts, yes. which at the at the time was it's kind of interesting how budgets have switched around and what a budget means, you know. And in some ways, you know, that would have blown up to be, you know, I think if you're doing it now, I think you'd be. And you had like what two million euro, two not two point one million euro or something like that. Yeah. It, but I think if you were doing it in the conditions and the way we shot that, like you know, seven seven weeks with five day weeks, you know, seven weeks, seven yeah. five days. I mean, know? you've just you guys have just done uh, my brothers, yeah, which is a road movie, yeah, yeah, and a period road movie, a period road movie, yeah, yeah. and uh, eight hundred eight hundred grand and yeah. twenty days, shooting. yeah, yeah. So yeah. things have changed, but I think it's gone both ways. That like you can make something for less and smaller. But if you're trying to make it within the industry and the way that would be, fucking, you know, I suppose five million or something like that, four or five million, yeah. Yeah. and you'd and you'd you know, and you wouldn't raise you know you wouldn't raise the money as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. I don't know where you'd raise the money to do it at that level. Mm -hmm. You know that sort of that patch is gone. Uh, and and uh, and then it did get it got released. In, it got released pretty much nearly. It got every, released every in America. Country, yeah. I did, yeah. It Australia did. did yeah, I can't mm. remember what it did in America, but it did reasonably enough. Like it was only about fifty territories, and it did um, recite fifty screens, screens yeah. and it did reasonably well. Like not not mega or anything like that, but it washed its face. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, th I think it probably did like about seven or eight hundred thousand or something over there, which wasn't too bad. Yeah. Uh, and, and it never got released on DVD here. No, but it did in Australia, right? Did in Australia. America? Uh, no, VHS. It was just. I think it was generally. It was oh, VHS before, was uh, still the yeah, yeah. main platform, so it was just before that. You know? uh, Dario Marinelli. Yeah. Um, was that one of his first films? Uh, no, uh, Dario's yeah. first film was Elsa. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> okay, okay. I, I Dario. Um, Basically, when I did Elsa, Oscar for Atonement. Uh, oh, Atonement. Okay. Yeah. He did the service. He did the service as well. Yeah. He won yeah. an Oscar for Atonement. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when I did um, uh, Elsa, Dar uh, Dario had written music for a play that uh, Brendan uh, what the fuck Coyle? Brendan Coyle's girlfriend was in, and I was Brendan Coyle was in Elsa, and I went over to stay. Um, meet Brendan. I, I think I'd just met him at the audition, so you know, I don't tell him to meet him, talk about the part. And I stayed in his house and had a bath. And in the bath they did take the quarter and I put the music on and it was the music for the play that Dario had written. And it was just piano music that was uh, he'd recorded with it, like a hand recorder. Mm. It wasn't finished or anything like that. And uh, so I, I asked Brendan for a copy of it and uh, uh, when we were cutting nails, I put a couple of pieces up, up to it and I really liked it and then so I approached him and he, he did the music and that was his first film. Yeah. So it was kind of fortuitous. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Take a bath and then Take a bath and then But um, yeah, so that was Dario. No, Dario did, you know, I think it was a bit of a 
it's not his home patch that music mm. you know I can't tell what, what was, I wouldn't be able to tell what was his and what was apart from the fact that I recognised a few yeah. uh, High Lamas tunes yeah. um, the rhythm and which were all instrumental actually yeah. there's rhythm and blues and there's High Lamas and then there's a couple of bands and it wasn't a, a was there a soundtrack album released there was was there yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it was back in the day when you could do all those things yeah. uh, mm. like like it sold to about twenty six or twenty eight countries or something like that so and it came out in most of them mm. theatrically you know? mm -hmm. So it was a different. I think there was, a, there was an art house world that existed for a while. I think maybe it's come back again, but it disappeared in the middle. There was a period where you couldn't do that, you know. Yeah, and of course uh, we have uh, <laughs> some of the some of the cast members no longer with us. Uh, yeah, Tony Doyle, Tony and Peter, Peter yeah. Caffrey. Uh, yeah. It was uh, Tony was funny when he. I remember casting him. That was the last part we cast actually, and it was quite close to shooting. And I met him, he came over from London and he, I think he was, I went to do a bit of work with him the day before the first day of shooting actually, or his first day of shooting really. And you know, I wanted him to read a bit and do it and he didn't really, you know, and then he just talked through the scene and didn't do anything. I went away so not really knowing what the fuck yeah. was going to happen, you know. And uh, and I just really wasn't I really wasn't sure you know, and uh, came in uh, to do that long scene that he does at the beginning of the film you know, and uh, you know very quickly he sort of had a menace and you know I knew that on the day on the day yeah so but it was quite nerve wracking you know where you don't know what somebody's going to mm. do. Wasn't there a? I remember um, I heard I met. Um, Keith Sutherland once. Oh yeah, um, I heard this as well, but it never came to anything. It was no, true. Yeah. What call him? Told us. Um, was it McMenamin? McMenamin, yeah, yeah. Karen McMenamin. Yeah, it, it was one of his favourite films, and he wanted to remake it. to do a remake. See, ah. so Keith Sutherland. Yeah, Keith Sutherland went down. Yeah, that's an American version of it. The kind of characters that you would have actually liked to watch another film with those two guys. I mean, before eventually getting funny in America, that would be Yeah, yeah. I think. There were good, yeah, no, there were good characters. I mean, the other, you know, in terms of just the other film that uh, was a reference, big reference point for us was Midnight Run. Mm -hmm. you know, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, of just course. Just in terms yeah, of yeah, the yeah, body, yeah, body yeah, movie, yeah. You know, yeah. And just that idea of two, you know, an, yeah. that antagonistic relationship, but that had a warmth yeah. in it yeah, you know, yeah. that comes through. You know. yeah. Had Connor written the cigarette, you know, twirling? No, that was a Brendan. That was a Brendan gag on the day, yeah. As far as I remember, I, I, yeah. yeah, exactly. And you need a what they, there's a great term in, a, in America and scriptwriters have called acute meat mm. and acute, a, meat. acute meat. So when you first meet the character, yeah. you meet them in a cute way. So acute yeah. meat, yeah. and it's just so just something that is it not? Is it, is cute meat not when you have like you know. <laughs> the guy's walking down the road and the girl's carrying her shopping and they bump into each other and he helps well, her up and they look into each other's eyes. That makes me. <laughs> Maybe it is, but what I always understood was that it's it's to introduce your uh, main Maybe. your main character, mm -hmm. cute, cute meat. That you that it's the, the crystallization of your attachment to that character or some way happens mm -hmm. in that moment you meet them first. The first way you say it's a Gilda. Yes. That it's just a thing that you you lock into them that you like the their voodoo or whatever mm. you know their mm. voodoo that you just get something about them you know uh. the whole thing about bunny 
and his and his confused sexuality. Oh yeah. Was that where did that come from? It's I suppose it comes from it comes from in general. He's somebody who's inarticulate and doesn't really understand himself at at many levels, mm -hmm. and the fact that he had that experience in prison, I think then is a sort of echoed back through the film in a few times where he you know says happiness is a big dick or whatever you mm. know and it goes back but it wasn't um it wasn't something that we ever said absolutely oh oh uh, bunny's definitely gay, gay or yeah. not it's yeah. it's more about the not knowing not understanding of his own mm -hmm. uh sexuality mm. and the desperate attempt always one of the things why i think he works so well and with brendan's performance works well that desperate attempt always to try and say something and he never says it he never can articulate the point yeah. but it's the desperate attempts and efforts and trying all the time mm -hmm. to say and to define and to express what something that he can't really mm. grapple with you know? I just remember seeing it first time and um, that shot where he wakes up beside somebody and you see this oh, hand yeah. of nails painted yeah and you don't actually get a proper glimpse no, of the see, face. There was a, I tell you that. You think it's a guy in drag a little bit? Yeah, kind of. At the time, uh, I remember thinking it's But his smile gives it away the physical ass. No, I tell you. Is that as a woman? That's a cut, actually. There's something that's cut out there. Oh. And there was a bit of it, the way angle that we shot it, um, uh, and the, a bit of to do with the makeup and the age of the actress mixed with so it was an actress it was an actress mm. but there was a bit of rock chick about the way she was had been made up and on the angle that we had on the the way it was shot um and the black nail polish or whatever it makes it slightly draggy yeah it's a bit it's a bit of that and it, what, uh, nothing to do with her it was yeah. really was the angle of, but the gag was, uh, and it was just a bit, we felt at the time it was a bit cheap, <laughs> maybe now we should have <laughs> kept it in, but there's a pair of false teeth in a glass, <laughs> and, and that's the pan continues up to a pair of false teeth, and it's just the idea that, uh, you know, you know, he's picked up an old age friend, yeah, yeah. And, he's, and he's, you know, What was he doing with a lemon? What was all that? What, what, what um, was he going to do with a lemon thing? And then he, he catches uh, it with him. I didn't quite get where, what was... Where, where, sorry, where it's in the door when he's in the... When the oh, no. He What he does is he picks up a sandwich off of a... Uh, there's a tray that somebody's put outside their door. Oh, and right. then he hears uh, Gib coming, so he whips back. Oh. I thought he was back. going to do you know, something and go, and go in. No, this no he's, just, he's just like... He's, he's, right. he's okay. a man of appetites, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. The thing is like <laughs> he's... he's an you know, yeah, an opportunist. And just... And a, he wasn't going to do anything, he was just, he was just listening. Okay, yeah, okay. And that's again, that sort of slightly, uh, I suppose, kind of not quite understanding something about himself or something. Kind of instinctive rather yeah. than intellectual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a big part of it, is the head yeah. and the heart. You know, yeah, yeah. That, you know like yeah. it's head and bunny's heart, you know. Mm. So, thanks very much for coming along. Yeah, thanks for Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SDGI Directors in Dialogue. For more information on the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland, visit us at www.sdgi.ie.